So we are in a series called Death and All His Friends. We've been doing this month, and uh, we've been talking about sin and the effects it has on our life and how we can live victoriously over sin. And uh, I know it's been stepping on our toes, and, uh, I, but a lot of you have been here pretty much every week of this series, so I, I keep telling you how bad a sinners you are, and you just keep coming back, so it's really great. Um, no, hopefully you don't feel that way at all. That's not the idea behind this at all. It's the idea of understanding who we are and, and understanding how much we need the love and the mercy and the grace of our Jesus. And um, in fact, many of you have reached out to me and said how much you've appreciated this series and talking about sin because it's something that we cannot neglect. In fact, I've said it many times over this month, but I'll say it again, the, the safest place in the world to talk about sin is in the church because we're not condemning. We're doing it in such a way so that we can see ourselves, we can see a mirror of ourselves so we can turn to Jesus. Whatever area of our life that we've been holding back from him, he's always looking to give us that we would give him more and more and more of our life. We'd surrender more and more of who we are to him. So, uh, so I'm gonna jump in with the word. I'm gonna give you my text verse. In fact, if you would stand with me, please, just in honor of reading God's word, I would appreciate it. This is uh, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth in chapter nine. I'm reading out of the New Living. I kind of like the, the way they worded this verse here. So it says, Do not, or don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Everyone say that. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Okay, so this race we're running is not some, some obscure thing. It is an eternal race that we are running. Because of that, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should, Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Some strong words from the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle to probably ever live, saying he's worried about being disqualified if he doesn't run the race hard. So I think that's a challenge for us too. The title of my message today is The Acceptable Sin. Would you pray with me this morning? Our gracious, wonderful, loving, beautiful Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have today, God. I pray that my words would be your words. Holy Spirit, that you would come and have your way. I pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Plow up the hard ground in our hearts to receive your word so that the seed planted would produce fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. So, have you ever noticed how when it comes to sin, we in the church can tend to become politicians sometimes? And uh, by that I mean that we don't always feel the freedom to say what we actually believe. We, we say what we feel like the people in our life want to hear or need to hear. Uh, you know, in the political realm, that would be like, you know, you gotta toe the party line. Whether you believe it or not, you gotta say what the party says, you gotta stay in line or else they'll end up pushing you out, you know? But in the church, it's about wanting to look spiritual, wanting to look like, you know, I, I, I know what the word says and I believe that and, and that's the way it is. But I would suggest to you today that sometimes our actions don't really back that up, that we don't necessarily take a hard stance against a lot of sin in our life, right? Now, there are sins that, of course, we take a stance against that, that none of us would ever condone, you know, whether it's some kind of uh, abuse, child abuse, or domestic violence, or, or thievery, you know, robbing from people, or, or adultery, or things like that, you know, that we would never condone. But if you, if you think about it, some of the stuff that we would take a hard line against society, which is people that are far from God, they also take a hard line against that. 
So we're not really any different than society if we're just standing strong against those things that the thing that they all have in common is that they hurt someone else. See, society says that it's not really a sin if I'm not hurting anybody. You know, that's the, that's the overriding, the prevalent philosophy of the day is humanism. And many of you know humanism is just simply the philosophy of life that the center of life is me. What matters is my happiness. What, is ma- what makes me feel good? It, that's where the phrase, if it, if it makes you feel good, do it. As long as it's not hurting anybody, that's where that comes from. And if we're only taking a hard stance against those those you know, worse sins, as we would want to call them, those things that really harm other people, then we're not really any different than society. When in reality, some of the stuff we've been talking about this month, some of the things that, you know, if you want to talk about like the seven deadly sins, a lot of them don't necessarily hurt people. Greed doesn't necessarily hurt others. Pride doesn't necessarily hurt others on the outside, right? There are things that the society would say, they'd look at those sins and say, well, those aren't a big deal. They don't really give those a lot of time because they don't think it's that big of a deal. In fact, society would say pride's a good thing. You know, what's wrong with a little bit of greed? It helps you to get ahead in life. You know, lust's no big deal. Lust never hurt anybody. But what we know as followers of Jesus, people that know the Bible, we understand because the Holy Spirit's opened our eyes to it, is that those things, even though they may not hurt somebody directly, those are gateways into other things. You know, the whole reason Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. Well, there's a couple reasons. One is because he wanted us to see that we're not good enough without him. That's the, that's the prevalent thing that he wanted us to see in that. But it was also to show us that, you know what, lust starts as just a thought, but it is a gateway to adultery. It can be a gateway to adultery. You know, very few people have probably ever committed adultery without allowing lust to flourish and grow in their heart first. And so we have to be very cognizant of that. We cannot set our standards on sin that line up with society. Society doesn't We can't blame them for having their standard. They don't know what they don't know. And if your eyes have not been opened to the truth of the gospel and you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to give you what you need to live this life, well, then you can't expect them. We we sometimes as a church are guilty of trying to get society to live up to the morals that we have. But that's not how you fix anything. You gotta give them the gospel. The gospel is what fixes. The gospel is what changes people. The gospel is what changes societies, not trying to get people to live to our standards. But the whole point of this is that I think a lot of times we, for lack of a better term, we kind of dumb down our own standards based on what we see in society. Because we don't necessarily want to deal with it or we, uh, we've just been, maybe we've been overwhelmed a little bit by so much of society. And I would say that the most condoned and maybe the most reprehensible sin that in the church today, and I don't mean in New Hope, I mean in the church, is apathy. And that's what my message today is about. Apathy is the acceptable sin in the church. Not towards God or the idea of God. I don't think we're apathetic towards the idea of God. We all know if you're a follower of Jesus, you know you need salvation. It's not so much about the idea of God, it's more about the things of God. You know, we talk about him being our Lord and our Savior. Well, we definitely, in the church, we want him to be our Savior because we know enough to know that our spirit's gonna live forever. And we want it to be with him, amen? But he also doesn't, he doesn't want to just be savior, he wants to be Lord, which that is about us giving him access into every area of our life. That's about him letting him pinpoint areas in our life that are not honoring to him. It's about surrendering everything we are to him. He wants to not just be our savior, he wants to be our Lord too. And I would suggest today that we become a little apathetic towards letting him be our Lord as well as our savior. And I'm definitely not here 
to beat anybody up. I hope you guys know my heart today. In fact, me going through this month of preparing sermons on, on sin, has uh, I've, I've been stepping on my own toes a lot too. And, uh, but I can tell you without a question, it is so life-giving. If we come at it from a place of just wanting to honor God in our life, when we, when we talk about sin, we talk about the shortcomings we have in our life, we talk about the areas where we have allowed ourselves to rule and reign instead of Jesus, and we really give that to him and let him do heart surgery on us, it is the most freeing thing in the world. So I'm not here to beat us up and tell you you're all terrible people. It's not like that at all. It's about exposing these things in our life because you know what? The enemy of our soul does a good job of lulling us to sleep sometimes to where we don't even recognize those areas in our life. In fact, man, I've had so many people tell me, you know, I talked two weeks ago on pride, last week on greed. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me or called me or texted me and said, man, I didn't even realize how much I was dealing with it until Sunday and I wanna thank you for it. And that's, that's the best thing a preacher can hear is that God is dealing with my heart. And uh, so this is actually a very, very good thing for all of us. You know, one of, uh, one of the enemy's tactics for us, like I said, is to, is, to put us to, is to lull us to sleep, to make us feel like if we're apathetic that it's not that big of a deal. And apathy is really just, just not really caring much, you know, kind of having a lackadaisical approach to something in life. If you're apathetic, about your job, it means you just don't really care about it, you just kinda go through the motions because you know you have to because you need a job. And we're probably all guilty of that at times in our life, right? But when we do it in our faith, that's when it becomes very, very dangerous in, uh, in life. In fact, the apathy towards the things of God in the church at large is actually alarming. Uh, because I knew I was doing this, I did some research and was looking up statistics and Christian organizations that have done statistics on people in church, people that consider themselves Christians and go to church. And it's really remarkable when you see it. And I'm not gonna share a bunch of numbers with you, but at the end of the day, we know that the Bible, that the amount of Christians, professing Christians that regularly read their Bible, the number is, is scary. And we know that's true because we know that there is a Bible illiteracy in the church. Many people don't know the Bible. That's why, as Ben was saying, that the prosperity gospel was taken off in the Sudan. It's because those people don't know the gospel. So they're giving these other teachers come in and they're sharing it with them and it sounds really good. So they're believing it, they're buying into it. And so that's exactly what's happening in the United States is you have these preachers that are sharing this prosperity gospel and it is good to the ears. It feels good, it sounds good. But when we really know the word, we understand that that's really not, that's only a portion of the gospel. And so it's imperative that we know the word, but there's an apathy towards reading the Bible. I think that it said it was like less than 9% of Christians, professing Christians actually read their Bible regularly. And I think that means like three to four times a week. And I think, man, what if you took vocational ministers out of that equation, what would the percentage be? It's actually pretty scary to think of how apathetic we are towards the word of God and, and prayer and how many people pray. I, I read something this week that said pastors on average pray like five to seven minutes a day the average pastor in the United States. That's scary to think that we're not dedicating any more time talking to God and we're leading the church, right? So if it's that way for pastors, what is it for non-pastors? What is it for lay people in the church? There's an apathy towards prayer. There's an apathy towards personal evangelism. This is one that breaks my heart so much and I'm guilty of this myself sometimes where we just don't take it upon ourselves to think that we need to evangelize the people that God has put in our life. There's an apathy towards it. They say now if you ask 
A bunch of Christians, if they've shared their faith with a non-believer in the last year, the overwhelming majority would say no. We've become apathetic towards personal evangelism and discipleship. There's even an apathy in the church towards discipleship. If you, if you have a Bible study, sometimes it's hard to get people to come out, right? Or if you have a, a thing where it's, a, it's about discipleship, it's a lot of people don't really have time for it unless it's on a Sunday morning. And again, I, I know the tendency is for all of us to feel that way. It's easy to become apathetic because of who we are as human beings. This isn't a, oh, we're, you know, we're just terrible and we don't understand, we don't, know, we don't live our Bibles out the way they're supposed to be lived. This is a tendency for all of us, so this is a reminder for us. This is a, an encouragement for all of us. It's a challenge for us to make sure that we don't allow ap an apathetic attitude and a spirit of apathy, which there is a spirit, an evil spirit of apathy, that we don't allow it to take precedence in our life and to, and to reside and to, and to have the say of how we approach our life, especially in our faith. And not only is apathy condoned in the church, as church leaders, I'll tell you guys, there's actually a pressure as a church leader to pander to the apathy in the church. It's actually really, it's scary because you find yourself as a leader, you wanna, you wanna bring people up, you know, you wanna encourage them up, bring them up, and you'll hear, I'll, I'll hear pastors, I'll hear church gurus saying, you know what, if you really wanna grow your church, this is how you gotta do it. Your church can't be, it can't be longer than an hour and 15 minutes, or maybe an hour and a half at the most, and the sermon can't be more than 40 minutes. You can't have this, you can't have that. You can't talk a lot about sin. You can't talk a lot about this or that. You can't talk about the blood of Jesus. You can't mention the cross. You can't make people feel bad to get them to get to come to Jesus. You gotta bring them in. You gotta make everything comfortable, make them feel really good. Tell them how awesome they are. Give them some good coffee and be really, really nice and then hope they come back next week. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you guys, I don't buy that for nothing. I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. I believe people want to be challenged. I believe they want to be brought up in their faith, not told how great they are, but told what it can look like to really live victoriously. That's what I believe the church is about. Praise God. And I've promised myself a long time ago, if I ever got in this position, I will never ever water down the message to try to put rears in the seats. I just won't do it because I don't believe we're doing anybody any favors. And I'm so thankful because we've been talking about sin all month and you guys just keep coming back. So uh, that's a good sign, amen? We've got a really, really great church here, but man, we are, I think as a church, we're bucking the system a little bit because we do talk about some of the hard things in our faith. But I, I believe that's what we, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, he is always wanting to draw us to the Father. He's wanting to draw us to Jesus. He's wanting to make us more like him. And if, we're, if he's in us, there's a draw in us to want to do that. There's a draw in us to want to be more like him, to want to be challenged in our faith, to want to be raised up and brought up in the faith. And so that's what we're doing. And I'm thankful that you guys are here. And I want to go back to my text today from Paul in Corinthians where he's talking about a race. He's talking about how we run a race. This life of faith is a race we're running. This is not the amazing race. This isn't some weird Grand Prix. This is not some race to the top of the proverbial mountain to get our financial situation perfect or get all the power we can get or influence. This is a race of faith. He is talking specifically about us as Christians living this life of faith. And he says, we are to run to win. Not to finish. Hear me, church. It's not about just trying to finish. We're not trying to finish middle of the pack. We're not just trying to get to the finish line. We are to run to win. 
We are to train ourselves and, and work hard in this faith to live this faith the way God would want us to. And I can tell you, there is no place for apathy in the life of a Christian. No place for it in our faith. Now, do we all have to deal with it at times? Do we all have to struggle? And there's a, is there always gonna be a tension there? Yes. We cannot be, we're, we're just not wired in such a way as human beings that every day it's just gonna be this all out, you know, wired and just mountaintop to mountaintop experience. It just doesn't work like that. We're gonna have mountaintops, we're gonna have valleys. But you can be just as passionate in the valley as you can be on the mountaintop. The valley is where you really learn what it's like to love Jesus. So we're not looking for these high experiences all the time. We wanna, we wanna know what it looks like to not be apathetic even when we're in the valleys. That's what's important. And you know, the Bible also compares the situation, the life of faith that we're in to a war. Not only a race, but a war. And you know what? I have, I've never been a soldier. I've never been on the front line. Some of you probably have. But I know enough to know that, a, that an apathetic soldier on the front lines of a battle is not only a danger to himself or herself, but they're a danger and a liability to their unit. So if we're talking about the kingdom of God and we are in a war, we're, we're warriors, we are soldiers in God's army and for the kingdom of God in our life and in the life of those that God would put in our life, then if we are apathetic, if we are lackadaisical, if we are half-hearted, we are not only a hindrance to ourselves, we're a hindrance to the kingdom of God. Which is exactly why Jesus said what he did in Revelation 3. And I'm gonna read this verse. Probably the, the verse that would make me tremble more than any other verse in all the Bible. I've read a lot of those this month. There's a lot of fear-invoking verses that I think are really great because it causes us to examine ourselves. But he said in Revelation 3, this is John, the Apostle John got this revelation, but these are the words of Jesus. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, which is just another way of saying because you're apathetic, this is what Jesus is gonna do. He says, since you're just lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. It's Jesus talking. And that word there, spit you, spit you out of my mouth, it really means vomit. He's really saying it's making him sick to his stomach. That when we are apathetic, when we are half-hearted, when we are riding the fence, that hit, that's his approach to us. This is not some slap on the wrist, church. This is actually a very scary verse. And when you think about how many of, of the followers of Jesus that we would say are ride the fence, half-hearted, wanting the wanting the, the side of the fence that has salvation and the blessings of God, but then still really wanting the other side where it's really about me. It's really about what I can get out of life and how, I, how much fun I can have and how successful I can be. And we're riding the fence and Jesus says, there's gonna come a time where he's gonna spit you out of his mouth. That's sobering for me. It should be sobering for all of us. It should make us look at our heart and say, okay, God, where, where is the apathy in my life? Because I don't want anything to hold me back. I don't want him to spit me out of his mouth. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's how I wanna live my life, that when I stand before him, and we're all gonna stand before him one day, but that when I stand before him, I don't have to worry about him being sick to his stomach because I'm there, but he's gonna say, well done, Reagan, well done. And it ain't gonna be because of my job, it ain't gonna be because of my family, it ain't gonna be because my mama was a Christian, it ain't gonna be because I know how to read my Bible, it's because my life was dedicated to him and I served him, and I loved him, and I trusted him for my salvation. That's why, amen? 
But we can fall into this deception thinking that apathy is no big deal. All you got to do is look at the words of Jesus. We can feel like, oh, I just need a little commitment. You know, we compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'm better than that person. We see the people on TV and we think, man, I feel sorry for them on Judgment Day. All the while, we're walking this fence. But then the next verse, the very next verse in Revelation tells us how we should really see ourselves. He says in verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. Sounds like the church, the Western church, doesn't it? But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's talking about us spiritually. That's what we are without Jesus. That is what we are. We don't have anything without him. Spiritually, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I know the church gurus say, don't tell people, don't make them feel bad about themselves. But you know what? You can't even come to salvation unless you feel bad about yourself. You can't receive Jesus saying, oh, okay, well, I'm a good person, but yeah, come along with me, Jesus. You can ride along. You can sit in the pastor's seat if you want. The only way to even come to him is to know that you are a sinner, is to know that you're not good enough on your own, and not only are you not good enough, according to Jesus, I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But man, with Jesus, all those are taken away. I'm not wretched, I'm not pitiful, poor, blind, or naked. I'm clothed, I can see, I'm rich in him. I have everything I need in him. But it's not about being half-hearted. It's about being all in. Have you ever done something for somebody and you really made a sacrifice to do it? Like whether it was to, I don't know, do a favor for them or even maybe a financial sacrifice. They were in a bind and you really helped them out and you went above and beyond. You, you planned a party for someone that wasn't expecting it and you really had to give a lot of your time and effort to do it or you... You, you did something for someone where you went above and beyond and you had to sacrifice. And you were feeling pretty good about yourself. Like, yeah, I, I really, I'm, I'm a, today I'm a good person because <laughs> I did all this. And you're anticipating how that person's going to respond when they find out everything you did. And then when they, res, when they do find out, their response is underwhelming. And they say something like, oh, thanks. And then they go back to what they were doing. The the appreciation didn't match your effort. Well, that is what we are doing when we are half-heartedly serving Jesus. Our appreciation doesn't match the effort that he made. And you might think, well, Jesus isn't insecure. He doesn't need all this gratitude. He's not insecure, but he absolutely needs the gratitude. He absolutely wants it all. That, that singing we do at the beginning of service, that's not just so we can warm up our pipes and try to sound good and make ourselves feel good. That is about giving us what he is due, or giving him what he is due. It's about giving him worship. And he doesn't just want it and kind of think it'd be cool. He demands it, because he deserves it. Because we wouldn't be here without him. So he does want that. He does want our gratitude. He wants us to be grateful. Because when we're ungrateful, that is apathy on display. Ungratefulness is just apathy on display. It's just saying it just doesn't really matter. And frankly, when we're like that, we just need a fresh revelation of what he actually did for us. We need a fresh revelation of who we are apart from him. We need to be able to see with our eyes. We need to get back to our first love. Jesus talked about, he said, you've lost your first love. We need to get back to that first love and remember how it felt to know that I really was on my way to hell and he really did all that needed to be done so that I could be with him and not have to go that way. We need to constantly be remembering 
what he did for us. An apathetic response is not sufficient to any of us who are saved. It is not sufficient. And it makes me think that many of us don't really understand what he actually did for us. You see, we need to understand the gravity of what apathy does in our life, church, and what apathy is and how God sees it. That verse in Revelation, that is how God sees it. Apathy is a sin, and it is detestable to God. And we need to know that. And I don't, again, I don't say it to beat you up. I say it because we need to know it. It is a matter of life and death for us. Don't get your standards from society. Don't get your standards from other churches that may be doing it differently. Don't get your standards from anywhere else. Get your standards from this, from the word of God. That's where we, if, if what I say doesn't line up with this, you can ignore me and throw tomatoes up here on the stage because it's not about me. It is about the word of God and what we have and what we know to be the truth of the gospel. And apathy is, there's no place for it in the life of a believer. You see, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us is never apathetic. So if we're, if we're, if we're struggling with it, if we're lethargic in our faith, if we're being half-hearted and non-committal and partially devoted but not really, it means we're in the flesh. Because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. So we need to get back in the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about life in the Spirit letting the spirit of God have his way in our life so that we're not giving in to the desires of the flesh. If the spirit of God is ruling in our life, we're not gonna be apathetic about our faith. And it doesn't mean we don't have moments. It doesn't mean we don't have seasons where it's a challenge, but we're gonna be, we're gonna be passionate about our God. We're gonna make decisions in our life based on serving him, not based on what's just best for me. So let me give you quickly a couple roots of apathy. This is not exhaustive. I want to give you a couple roots and I want to give you a couple cures. If you're taking notes, give you something to meditate on as you move forward. So one root of apathy is entitlement. Uh, a sense of entitlement often produces apathy in our life because we feel like what has happened is supposed to happen in our life. We live in a cursed society when, in regards to apathy because we're so blessed. We're blessed and cursed at the same time. We are the most entitled generation in the history of the world. And I'm not here to talk about all that. You know, it's funny because we will talk about how the kids, the young generation, man, they're so entitled. You know, they, they get married, and as soon as they get married, they think they should have a house, and two kids, and, or two dogs, and two cars, and everything right away. You know, they don't have to wait for anything. It's just get it, and there's such an entitlement. But we're all, if we're not careful, we're all very entitled spiritually because you can easily get to where you do forget your first love. The reason we're told to go back to our first love is because as we go along in this life of faith, it's easy to kind of forget what you were saved from. And you start to feel like you've just been a Christian your whole life. When in reality, we don't need to be entitled at all. Entitlement, what it does is it just causes us to get bored in our faith, which is gonna always lead to apathy in our life. If I'm entitled, I'm bored. And we're also the most bored society in the history of the world with more stuff than we've ever had to keep us entertained, we're still the most bored society. And a lot of that is because the things we have, we feel like we deserve it, and it translates over into our faith. We really, church, I'm being, I'm being honest with you today. Like, this is something I have to deal with too, where I have to remind myself, no, I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve the love of God in my life. What I deserve is to be condemned to hell. That's what I deserve. It's what we all deserve. It's the grace of God, it's the love of God, it's the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
that is keeping me from getting what I actually deserve. We don't deserve it. We're not entitled to anything. We get this free gift of grace. You know, people say, I don't just understand how God can send anybody to hell. That's not the question. The question is, how can God keep anybody in heaven? How can he let us get to heaven knowing how we really are in our hearts? We don't have any place to be entitled in our faith. Romans 12, verses 11 to 12. This is the verse I would encourage you to write it on a sticky note and put it on your mirror in the morning so you see it every day. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Never lose your zeal. Man, I need to be reminded of that every day. We can get so caught up in the things in life. I can get so caught up in ministry sometimes that has nothing to do with my faith in Jesus sometimes. It's just stuff. That I need to be reminded to not lack my zeal, keep my spiritual fervor. That word fervor there in the Greek just means boiling hot. Let's stay hot spiritually. We can do it, but we have to be intentional and not allow ourselves to get to that place of feeling entitled that we deserve what we've got because of who we are. What we have is all because of what Jesus did. Another root of apathy is distractions. Uh, there's a more ample supply of those than ever. And I can tell you, it's not gonna get any better, church. It's not gonna get any better. I mean, we have these powerful computers that we put in our pocket and in our purse that we carry around with us everywhere we go. They give us access to the entire world at the, at the touch of a fingertip. There's distractions everywhere. In fact, I don't even remember, like what did we do 10 years ago if we were in a waiting room? What did we do? I, don't, I mean, I, I can't even think of what I was doing. Because now if I'm in a waiting room, my hand just goes in my pocket. And I just start doing this, you know? The phone doesn't need to be on. It's like an involuntary thing. It's just what we do, you know? There's just so many distractions out there that are just vying for our time and our attention. And I can tell you today, church, without a question, that the distractions that we have in life, if we don't deal with them, if we're not intentional about them, they will distract us away from our faith and cause us to be apathetic. They will absolutely do it. The phone, the social media, the Netflix, the news, it all wants to take up all your time. And it is more than happy to do it. And those things in moderation are fine, but when it distracts us from our faith, it is a problem. And we have to be careful with that. Don't, don't let society and even other Christians determine how you're gonna approach that in your life. We have to be intentional about it. We can allow anything and everything to distract us. And it's easy to think, oh, I got plenty of time to figure it out. I know I'm a little apathetic right now, but I'll figure it out. I'm gonna wait till my kids are a little older and I'll have less you know, on my plate. <laughs> I'll wait till I'm retired. That's the funny one. I've never talked to a retired person that said their life got slower when they retired, ever. You know, and we think, oh, we got plenty of time. I'm telling you, the Bible says he's gonna come like a thief in the night. I was part of three funerals this last month. You don't know. None of us know how much time we have. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you, don't buy into the lie that I could just indulge my distractions and I'll worry about my faith later. That's a scary, scary proposition for us to do. And thirdly is pain. Pain is a root of apathy in our life. It's a big one, actually. And I would say that uh, this is something many, many, many followers of Jesus have fallen into that has caused them to be apathetic. Some of you in this room might be dealing with this right now. 
We've all dealt with pain. And some of you have dealt with pain spiritually, which is a little different. So maybe you were, maybe you were at this place where you were passionate about Jesus. You're just serving him with all your heart. You're, you're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're going to church. You're tithing. You're, you're doing everything you know to do, and you genuinely love God. You're making sacrifices for, for your faith. And something comes up where you need God to come through, whether it's a, you need the healing of yourself or a loved one, or you need him to help you out in your, financials, your financial situation. You have a, a money issue that you need him to come through, or you have a relationship. You've begged him and pleaded with him to heal this relationship, a marriage, or, or with your kids, or with somebody, a teacher, or somebody in your life, and he didn't come through. And by saying that, that's really a fallacy because God never doesn't come through but what I mean is he didn't do what you wanted him to do. It's happened to every one of us. And so you have this pain point, even in your faith, in your relationship with God, where you say, and we don't say this out loud because it sounds unspiritual, because we are political, even in our faith sometimes, where you would never say it out loud, but this is what you think. God, I served you, I gave everything for you, I love you, I've done everything I know to serve you, and I needed you to do this, and you didn't do it. And so what we do, because we know enough to know that I still need a savior, so I'm not gonna completely reject him, but I'm not gonna let him be my Lord. I'm gonna let him save me from my, from my sins so that I can go to heaven, but there's gonna be a wall I'm putting up. And he can't come past that wall. I'm not gonna trust you beyond this. I'll give you this and this, but that's it. There's a wall there. Because of our pain, we've kept him at bay. And what that does is eventually it causes us to just go through the motions. We're just going through the motions. And next thing you know, over a period of time, you've become incredibly apathetic in your faith. Your faith means nothing more than checking the box. You come into church a little late. You leave as soon as we ask everybody to stand. You wouldn't even dream about connecting with people in the church or ever getting involved in anything or giving to the church because you're just checking the box. And I'm not here to beat anybody up or ridicule or point fingers or do anything like that, but I'm telling you, if you're doing that today, that is, that is a place of apathy that God looks at. And I'm telling you today, church, he does not give us excuses. When we stand before him, he's not gonna say, well, you didn't really serve me, but I, I know, I didn't answer that prayer the way you wanted me, so that's fine. It's not how it works. We have no excuse to not give him everything in our life. Because here's the thing, you might be disappointed with God, but it doesn't mean he let you down. It doesn't mean he didn't come, he, didn't, he wasn't faithful. Because here's the thing, God cannot not be faithful. He cannot not be true. Those are two of his names. It says that the writer, his name was faithful and true. That's who he is. So he can't not be that. So if it didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, it wasn't that he wasn't faithful, it's that you had expectations that didn't line up with what he was doing. Now that's okay. Every one of us have been disappointed in our faith. I've been disappointed more times than I can count in my faith. And that is not a sin to be disappointed. Because disappointment just means that you had unmet expectations. That's all it means. So I would hope as followers of Jesus that we are expecting things from God. But since our mind is not his mind and our ways are not his ways, there's gonna be times those expectations aren't met. So I would be disappointed, but it doesn't mean he did anything wrong. It just means that my thinking has to line up with his. So when I'm disappointed, I have to say, God, I don't understand, but I'm still gonna trust you. In fact, instead of running away or putting up walls, those times should make us run to him even more. Because he's the one that's gonna get you through those. When you prayed for the healing of someone and they, it didn't happen the way you wanted and they passed away. Those are the times you draw close to him. It says he is close to the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. Those are the times we run to Jesus. We don't put up walls because then you're playing right into the enemy's hand. 
The enemy loves it when we have pain points that we allow to cause us just to be apathetic and say, well, I don't trust him, but I don't, I knew, I don't want to go to hell either. That is, you are playing right into the enemy's hands. And Jesus would say, you are lukewarm. And he does not, he does not give us free passes because our feelings were hurt. I know that's a hard word, church. I know that's a hard word, but I'm preaching the truth of the gospel today. And I've had to say it to myself many, many times when my feelings have been hurt in my faith. And that's okay, we just can't stay there. We can't stay there because he is God and he is perfect in all of his ways. He is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our surrender and our commitment to him no matter what we're going through. Don't let it cause you to be apathetic in your life. All right, now I have some cures too and I wanna give them to you real quick. I know we're a couple minutes late. Give me five minutes and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be close to done and then I'll need another five minutes. Um, well, we're not gonna pander to, uh, to the desire to get out here early, right? All right, so the cures for apathy. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of these. First one is to admit it. Sounds simple, but let me tell you, so many of the struggles we deal with in our life so many the issues in our faith stem from us not admitting our sins to God, which is hilarious if you think about it because he knows anyway. But there's something in us, and I, I know we do it because I do it too. I have to shake my head and shake the cobwebs out every once in a while, but there's things that we just think if I don't talk about it, it's not there. You know, you might do that in marriage and it might work for a season, but you know it's stuff's still brewing, right? But to do it with God is ludicrous because he does know. He knows the thoughts of man. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. Like, he knows everything. So the first thing we have to do is admit it. And, and church, this is simple. It's the simplest aspect of our faith, but it is something we neglect all the time, to confess our sins to him. We should be living a lifestyle of repentance. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, one of his jobs is to convict us. Not just on the day you give your life to Jesus and get saved. Not just then. That's the very, very beginning of it. The whole life is meant to be a lifestyle of repenting. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So if, if we're not repenting, if you would come to me and say, you know what, I, ha I haven't been convicted in six months, I would say, what are you, what's going on? Because there's no way you've been perfect for six months. You haven't been perfect for six minutes. None of us are, right? So, what, so you're obviously, you're, you've gotten to a place of apathy where you're not even allowing him to convict you. Or you believe some lie that, well, I don't have to repent anymore because all my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and I got saved. Jesus said, when you pray, ask the Father to forgive your sins as you forgive others. That's not a prayer of salvation. That's the prayer of a believer. We live a lifestyle of repentance. We should be repenting all the time. The Holy Spirit should be convicting us all the time of the things we're doing. And it's not like we walk around with our head down like, man, I'm just a horrible person, but we gotta open ourselves up to let him show us our heart because it's always to draw us closer to him. It's always to bring us up, not down. First John 1, 9 is one of the best verses in all the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a verse for Christians. This is for the church. This is for the church. So admit it. Just admit it. We should be self-aware enough to know that we're apathetic sometimes. Where we have areas where we're apathetic. I was convicted this week because I'm prepping this thing and I'm reading, I'm talking, thinking about like how we've become so apathetic about personal evangelism. 
And I'm going, I don't know anybody that's not saved. How ridiculous is that? Like, that's not, that's not an excuse for me because I'm a pastor. I gotta find some people that don't know Jesus and start spending time with them. And I'm committed to doing it. Not to bash my Bible over their head, but just to love on them and pray that the door would be open, that I could share my faith with them. We gotta have people in our life that we're doing. So I, I've even seen apathy in my own life, even from this week. So it's, it's something that, when, when, I, when I realized that it wasn't me putting my head down going, oh God, I'm so horrible, I don't even know how you love me. I was thanking him. Thank you for showing me that, God. Because I just want to be more like you. I just want, there's always stuff in my life that I want to become less and less so that he can be more and more. Just like John the Baptist said. So admit it. We should be the most self-aware people on the planet. You know why? We have the Holy Spirit in us. We should be the most self-aware people on the planet as followers of Jesus. We should know if we're struggling with apathy. I can tell you this, the people around you know if you're struggling. They can tell. All right, second, righteous discomfort. We need a righteous discomfort in our life. We need to pray that God would make us uncomfortable in our apathy. Now, you may think that sounds counterintuitive, but I'm telling you, we can actually ask God to do things in our life to take us to a place where we will be passionate about him. And I know some of you would say, well, that's a scary prayer because what if, you know, he takes away things in my life? Well, I can tell you, our God is not a, he's not looking for us to pray something so that he can get us. You know, oh God, make me uncomfortable. Okay, well, good, you're gonna lose your job today and next week your uh, car's gonna break down and we're gonna make all this stuff happen so you're really uncomfortable so you have to turn to me. No, 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 no. When I say a righteous discomfort, I'm talking about inside, that he would stir you. God, stir me to where I am not okay not knowing any unbelievers in my life. Make me, make me almost repulsed by it, like to where I'm willing to sacrifice to go find people and, and spend time with people. Like, stir me up. Stir me up, God. He loves that prayer. He'll get his big spoon in there and just start stirring in your heart and doing his work. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when we become righteously uncomfortable. We can't beat a spirit of apathy on our own. We need him to help us. I want to read a verse in Ephesians 3. Verse 17 to 19, it says, this is Paul saying, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I love it. He says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Basically, to know this love that you can't know. I love it. That only God can do that. Only God can make you know a love that you can't know because it's gotta come from his spirit dwelling in us and stirring in us and giving us what we need to really be able to love him. And when we are passionate about him, all of a sudden we start seeing things in our life that, man, why do I even do that? That's ridiculous. I don't even know, I don't even know I'm not gonna spend any more time on that. I'm canceling my Netflix subscription. And everybody said? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, third and finally, another cure for apathy is forming good habits, forming godly habits, I should say. Now, this is not about trying to be better. This is about discipline, spiritual discipline. That is a thing, and it's a good thing in our life, not a religious, a religious ritual that we do, but really forming good godly habits in our life, whether it's reading the word consistently, 
You know, setting a timer in your phone so you remind yourself just to read and allow God to speak to you through his word and to pray consistently. But at the end of the day, it's really about deny, deny, deny. You know, insurance companies tell you if you have a car accident, deny, deny, deny. Politicians, no matter what happens, deny, deny, deny. Those are all ridiculous. But what Jesus said it, and he meant it, and it was actually a really good thing. And it's in Matthew 16, 24. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny, 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 deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the key to defeating apathy in our life, creating good habits of denial, denying ourselves. You can deny yourself in the morning and you gotta do it again at lunchtime. And then you gotta do it again at dinner. The self, the flesh nature is never going away. It's never gonna quit, never gonna give up. I know I say it a lot, but we need to be reminded of this all the time. We need to consistently deny ourselves. We need to say what Paul said, I no longer live. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That wasn't the only time he said that. I promise you, I bet he said it every day. Had to remind himself, I no longer live. This life is not my own. I'm gonna have spiritual discipline in my life, living for my God and forsaking all others to glorify him in my life. Amen, amen. Well, would you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us this afternoon. I wanna challenge you today, church, let's not let the sin of apathy be the acceptable sin because it is an abomination to God. And we can't make ourselves non-apathetic, but we can, we can surrender ourselves to God and let him do his work in our hearts. I wanna invite you, if you wanna come up to the altar to pray, you're welcome to. I'm gonna pray over all of us, though. Let's just ask God to, I, I wanna ask you to open your heart today, to let him speak to your heart. Be willing to let him do surgery. Because when he does his work, it's always to bring us up, never to bring us down. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. It's so wonderful. God, we come to you today knowing that apathy is something we all deal with. God, I thank you that you don't condemn us. You just want to bring us up. So Lord, we confess our apathy today. We repent. Lord, we're going to turn away from it today and trust you to help us to live passionately for you, to run the race, to win it, not to finish in the middle of the pack, not to crawl across the finish line, but to run it to win, because you deserve it. You're worthy of it, Lord. Help us to have a fresh revelation of the sacrifice you made for us. Help us to see our great need for you, that we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked without you. But oh, with you, Jesus, we are your children. You put the robe on us, you put the ring on our finger, you put sandals on our feet, you give us all the blessings of an heir. And God, we thank you for it. We revel in who you are. We thank you that you love us so much that you not only told us you love us, you came and showed us your love. You demonstrated it in that while we were still sinners, you came and died on a cross for us. God, how can we do anything but give our lives to you? How can we live for anything else but you? knowing what we know. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this house and anybody listening 
that does not know you, Father, that you would touch their heart, that they would see that they can trust you. Not only can they trust you, but they need you. They need you desperately. We all desperately need you. God, help us all to surrender our lives to you in a greater way. And as John the Baptist said, that we would become less so that you can be more in us. We honor you today and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we praise God one more time today? Yes, thank you, Lord.